Hello and welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. The Mindfulness for Learning workshops are starting this week. We're at school in North London delivering all of our workshops for the first time. I can't believe it's finally happening. If you want to book in our wellbeing workshops for your school, then please hurry. With not much time left until the summer and with our special 20% off early bird offer throughout May, time is running out. So get yourselves booked in at mindfulnessforlearning.com forward slash workshops. There you'll find lots of information on what we have to offer. So here we are, episode seven, nearly at the end of series one. I can't believe it. I've enjoyed listening to this one back. In fact, I've done so twice already. In response to the tragic murder of Sarah Everard, I wrote an article about how educators need more support in teaching relationship and sex education. Natasha Ills read this article and got in touch with Mindfulness for Learning. She shared lots of helpful information that can now be found on our website and kindly came to chat to me. Natasha Ills is the founder of Bold Voices, a social enterprise bringing young people together to learn, discuss and tackle gender inequality and cultures of gendered violence. After studying gender and international relations at Bristol University, she realised the need to educate young people, empowering them to question and drive change. I really object to the the talk, in averted commas, with, with young people that like sitting down and having the talk about sex. I'm, the, what is that? No, like that is, that is not something that we should be um, advocating for. This is about, you know, everyday conversations about these things. Bold Voices are an educational platform delivering workshops, talks, digital sessions and online resources to teachers, parents and young people at school and university. Whether you're a parent, teacher or student, they can support you. I found talking to Natasha such an enlightening experience, one that made me feel so much brighter about the future of relationship and sex education in schools and certainly more confident to go out there and teach it. Our RSE curriculum has a long way to go, but if we can try to use our own voices to drive change and move things along quicker, we will get to a more detailed and progressive approach to these issues in our education system. So without further ado, here is Natasha Eels from Bold Voices talking about educating young people about gender inequality and gendered violence. Just to warn our listeners that we do discuss sensitive topics. So welcome Natasha, thank you so much for joining us on Mindfulness for Learning. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Um, you got in touch, uh, I think you sent a link through on Twitter because I wrote an article on relationship and sex education um, and it was so lovely to have, have a response on Twitter, um, basically mm. with some help and support for teachers, um, and which is what Bold Voices does. Can you tell us a bit about Bold Voices, how it came to be and what it offers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bowl Voices is a social enterprise. We deliver education on gender inequality and gender-based violence in schools and also in universities too. Um, and and yeah, I, I got in touch with you as well because I it, it's still rare to find kind of teachers and educators who are already interested in and passionate about writing about this topic so when mm. I saw your um your piece for your website I thought wow this is amazing you know someone who is is clearly like passionate about these topics and wants to to talk about them which is always amazing so well, that's great. connecting yeah with like-minded people is is always amazing mm. and um Bold Voices was founded 
it, it was quite a natural process. Um, it came out of a master's in gender and international relations. Um, and it didn't come from teaching experience or anything like that, which which I think a lot of people expect it to. Yeah. Um, but instead, it kind of came from a place of frustration, really, that I hadn't had access to learning about these issues until really like a postgrad level, which once I had learned about them seemed utterly mad um that that it taken that long um and also you know that privileged of a position like I was incredibly lucky to be able to do a master's and to get to that point and and it that kind of learning shouldn't be reserved for a postgrad level you know this is kind of key learning that should happen whilst I'm still at school yeah um and you know for me I I grew up in in Wiltshire in a small town I was an army kid and and looking back I can see that I was exposed to and also experienced, you know, girls being treated differently to boys, incidences of sexual harassment um, that were normalised to the extent that I didn't consider them to be wrong. That was simply, you know, just the way that things were. Um, And unfortunately, my own experiences were very low level, but there were many friends and peers around me who were experiencing far more severe forms of sexual violence, even from a young age. And and I knew that I I knew this was wrong, uh, but I didn't know how to draw a connection between those experiences um, and, you know, maybe the fact that girls were labelled bossy instead of leaders or that in the playground, you know, when I was at primary school, we played kiss chase and that there was only like a safe place for girls on, on the steps where they wouldn't be kissed. You know, I didn't connect any of those things. And and it wasn't until I I studied my master's that I really was able to see those connections and understand that bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so it was from there that I thought, right, well, I, I need to be taking this understanding to young people. Um, and as I said, like it started very organically, um, going into a couple of schools, giving a talk. And from there, I started to build kind of workshops and more interactive sessions um, and, and really sort of as I said, grew organically from there. And the first couple of years were really, it was really just a struggle to find, to get into schools and, and to get this work prioritised. Um, and, and really up until a month ago, that was the case. Yeah. Um, and I think it, we saw this real turning point in the last month with everything in the media and on social media of, of really just seeing that this is a topic that is incredibly close to home to a lot of young people and really needs to be prioritised. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, it's kind of, it's too late, isn't it? Well, I say too late, but it's too late for so many people. When we when you get mm. to kind of university and like you say, you're getting that information and you're, you're realising these things, you, you kind of look back and you think of how much your life could have been different, even with the, mm. the low level things had you have been educated from an early age um how do you do you hold out hope that this interest because you talk about obviously the 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 Sarah Everard case has brought everything to the surface how confident are you that it will remain at surface level do you feel like it might kind of sink back down again once everyone kind of moves on from this it, I mean, you know, it's it's so hard to say, isn't it? Because we we see so often with with lots of different social justice issues and movements, we see the rise and fall of mm. of kind of passion about them and and I guess interest in them. And and I I don't know. I think part of me is skeptical, and and I guess I suppose from the position of bold voices, I I have to always be. Um, 
I have to I have to always know that there's going to be a certain element of of demonstrating that this education is needed like I know that that's always going to be a role that bold voices plays yeah um but having said that it does feel like a real moment um mm. in a way that kind of the me too movement a few years ago didn't you know didn't it didn't reach it didn't reach young people in the way it should have and it didn't and it didn't reach I guess just everyday people in the way you know I think a lot of yeah. people see the Me Too movement as being reserved for you know celebrities um, and a certain echelon of society and and it feels like in the response to Sarah Everard and the response to um, I suppose that, that everyone's invited testimonies for young people has has really been more of a moment of actually this is something that that we all need to play a role in solving as well yeah. it's not even just that we're all experiencing it, it's that we all need to play a role in solving it and we've seen that with um the discussions around kind of what men and boys can do and how they can be involved in this and and i don't think that that was something that happened with the me too movement so so i mm. i i really hope that this is a new moment yeah. and a lot of people have said that and um and and yeah, I think it just has to be, you know, mm. it has to continue. Yeah, um, and it's nice that I guess you you have some sense of control over that with bold voices. You mm. you can be part of that movement, which mm. which feels really nice when you can do when you can do your bit. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people have felt, or a lot of women and girls have felt very very relieved as well. Very little things like the idea that other women hold keys between their fingers or will mm. kind of order a taxi home rather than walk two minutes down the road or even when they're in the taxi, that feeling of vulnerability. There's been a huge sense of relief that we, we all go, oh, okay, that you all do that as well. Mm. Um, because sometimes you are made to feel that it's an irrational kind of behaviour. Uh, or I certainly have in the past have been made to feel, even by my partner who who has kind of feels differently now that this has all come about but mm. I think it was that I was I was too fearful I was too mm. worried when actually it's something we all share so that's been a really nice part of this is that kind of we've all we're all there for each other and we all realize that which has been really good yeah yeah absolutely mm. and the obviously the the problem is so ingrained and so big um and the the role of bold voices kind of you say empowering young people to recognize and tackle the inequalities it's so huge that job how do we do this where do we start yeah it is it is huge um but i think we start with giving young people the language to just talk about it mm -hmm. um i think so often we don't we don't realize that 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 language doesn't exist and i know that was something for me i i i always you know i think back to my childhood and how i didn't talk about these things with my parents and it wasn't that i didn't have that relationship with them that I couldn't you know I had a great I have a great had a great relationship with my parents we can talk about lots of things yeah um but I never articulated experiences of sexual harassment or sexual violence because I didn't know that that's what they were yeah um, and so I think just starting a a providing language and giving giving terms giving names giving understanding to these things but also you know providing knowledge like this is what it is this is what it looks like this yeah. is what it's connected to and and i think that's the place that we start and um creating space for those conversations you know and and there are certain spaces that exist within school pshe lessons and similar yeah. that that start to do that but really giving a specific place for okay let's talk about gender inequality let's talk about gender-based violence and sexual violence is something yeah. that I, I think part of that is there's there's a fear to to have those conversations with young people a worry that you know that they're not 
that they're not prepared for that and that's exposing them to something that that they don't need to be exposed to yet but you know as we've seen they're already experiencing these things and so it's not too early to talk about them um talk about it with them in that kind of structured safe space um so yeah it is it's a huge it is a huge challenge and and you know at bold voices we say that's what we do as you said you know we we deliver that education but knowing that this is the first step on on a very long road to, yeah. to tackling these very like systemic ingrained attitudes. Um, but you have to start somewhere, don't you? So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it, it makes sense that you would start with kind of language and, and mm. what things are children really surprised by or kind of that they, they know nothing about and you're surprised that they know nothing about? Yeah, so I think the language a big part of it is kind of defining what we mean by gender-based violence which actually is often what we see the most surprise in young people is is really recognizing that these experiences that they might see or experience themselves is is sexual violence is gender-based violence and a big part of that is is talking about public sexual harassment catcalling unwanted sexual comments online sexual harassment you know image-based abuse um understanding that when somebody shares a photo um of you without your consent that is sexual violence you know a lot of young people don't would never put that name to it they no, would because never it's just part of their term. world isn't it they're so exactly. used to that exactly mm. um and and you know also up to more extreme forms you know talking about what female genital mutilation is and yeah. and understanding what that is a lot of young people hear that term when yeah. they actually know what it is they think they have no idea you know they had no idea it happened they had no idea it's so common that it happens in the uk you know that all of these things um so really giving them an idea that there is the spectrum of sexual violence that exists some of which they will have experienced or witnessed themselves some yeah. of which they might not have done but they need to understand exi- is is related to the experiences that they've had so um so that's really where where we start with giving them that that understanding yeah. and that language and i guess um, that empowers them doesn't it then to know mm. that they can speak up i mean you talk about catcalling and things like that when i was growing up you know the amount of of things that got shouted out at me in the street but not for once did I even think to question it Mm. because it just it wasn't part of it was just part of growing up as a girl that's that's kind of what happened and I guess it's that having that empowerment to go no that's wrong what you're doing Mm. rather than Mm. just accepting it so it makes sense that that would kind of be at the beginning of that journey yeah Um, absolutely you work with secondary so aged 15 to 25 Mm -hmm. um what made you pick this age in particular? So um, it was interesting actually thinking about this because in the last month or so, our work is adapting and changing and growing. So mm. we are starting to work with younger pupils, which oh, is okay, great. But, um, but we started with that age. Um, again, it, it comes back to the kind of natural progression of Bold Voices because I, when I founded Bold Voices, I was taking that kind of critical education that I'd had in my master's and, and trying to take it to young people and, and naturally working with the older pupils was was kind of where we started with that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, part of that reason as well was that I, I knew from my research into the into the area that there were um, other great organisations working with kind of primary school ages ta- talking about gender stereotypes and language. And and so I knew that there were people who were already working in that space. And, yeah. But I couldn't see many people working with the, with slightly older pupils. And, you know, although starting young with these conversations is the long term solution, yeah. there would also then be whole generations who kind of missed out on that that yeah, learning. Definitely. So um, and and the other part of it was that 
it a big part of what we do is is work on transition to university but also just the wider world um, and making sure that young people are equipped um, for that for that move and and so you know naturally that means working with slightly older um, yeah. teenagers and kind of preparing them you know for me I arrived at university with no preparation for the culture that kind of hit me and the experiences of harassment and violence that the students were experiencing all the time mm. um, and although we know that this is happening in schools and it's happening with with younger students university does still you know present a very specific culture that kind of exacerbates these issues um, and and that was something that I didn't see young people being prepared for and and, yeah. and so that was kind of a um a gap that we wanted to fill in that education so that's why we start sort of started with that older age group yeah um but as i said we are we're starting to work on some projects with younger pupils particularly on the transition to secondary school um and and working with parents to really talk about these issues so that they're ready to have those conversations yeah. um, and and to make sure that their children are are prepared and have their eyes open to to what they might experience or witness i'm really interested about the idea of transitions as well In, mm. you talk about the transition to university what kind of i went to university a very long time ago so it, it's a, a, a probably a very different experience to what it's like now what kind of uh, things are you looking at in in terms of transitioning to university what are the problems that that students are facing in terms of gender inequality presently yeah so I think we talk about the kind of existence of a culture and I use I do use lad culture because I think that's a term that a lot of people have heard of or yeah. know about um and and it's a very it's quite a specific cross-section of issues that kind of happen at university it's a combination of heavy alcohol consumption um there's a lot of there's a there's a normalization of kind of misogynistic homophobic racist language amongst certain groups it is linked to a sport culture as well in a lot of cases um and and it's kind of a combination of these factors um and you see it particularly around sexual conquest and competition kind of approach to sex at university and mm. um, there's a lot of rating of women and girls and um yeah. kind of comp- yeah as i said these kind of conquests and competition around sex yeah. um and and you know combined with that heavy alcohol consumption a lot of drugs as well and a, and a kind of a lack of consequences for actions that yeah. that perhaps has not been experienced before in the same way why um, why is there such lack of consequence where, where whose kind of responsibility is that who's failing failing there so obviously you know on the one hand a big part of university is more freedom and more independence right you're not being yeah. tucked into bed every night you're yeah. not you don't have that kind of immediate i guess authority whether that's parents or whether that's teachers in school um but yeah there's absolutely a failing on behalf of universities to provide adequate report and support and accountability um procedures around sexual violence um right. I don't think that's a new thing. I think people know that and that, you know, what's interesting is we've been following the kind of different media cases around within universities around the country for the last few years. It's, you know, we've seen there was a there was sort of a Instagram account for Aberdeen University that that happened recently that was talking about these issues. There's been a case in Cambridge recently with a professor. I mean, 
there's wow. been a lot of stuff. I went to Bristol Uni. There's there's a lot of stuff that's come out of Bristol Uni. Um, so so yeah, there there is a there is absolutely a responsibility of universities to be doing more um, to to kind of provide accountability um, and to ensure that accountability happens. And and that hasn't happened yet. So yeah. there's certainly a big role to play um, on the university side as well. So it seems like, like you say, this is a moment really where we are uncovering so much. It mm. almost feels like misogyny and gender-based violence has, has gotten worse. Has it got worse or is it just the unveiling of it all and we're just we're seeing it all come to the surface? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question and point and, and one that I probably don't have like a definitive answer on, mainly because, mm. you know, how do we know how do we know that something has gotten worse when it's been silenced for so long? Like, you know, we know that gender-based violence and misogyny has existed for centuries. You know, mm. it's not, we know it's not new. Um, and we know that that the survivors of and the victims of gender-based violence have been silenced for, for decades and for centuries. So it's hard to know if it's gotten worse or if it has just started to be uncovered and, and to have a space, you know, for young people to, not just young people, but all survivors to talk about their experiences. Yeah. Um, um, and having said that, there are a lot of teachers I speak to who say that they feel that, you know, misogyny and homophobia, transphobia, racism amongst teenagers has gotten worse in the last few years. Yeah. I, I wonder if part of that is just a better understanding as to what those things are and yeah. therefore a better um, ability to recognise them and, and name them and, and say, you know, name them for what they actually are that's exactly what you were saying to, wasn't it about having the vocabulary to and exactly the, and, yeah exactly. the language yeah as opposed to just dismissing them as you know banter or just you know whatever however they've been dismissed as harmless in the past mm. um and another part of it i think though is that it always seems to surprise us that there's backlash when progress might be being made but mm. that that is not uncommon you know but ba backlash to social justice progress is very very common throughout history mm. um and and you know we have to remember that kind of misogyny and the forms that gender-based violence take are always evolving and adapting and we've seen that with you know the rise in online sexual harassment and what that looks like and the different forms that that takes yeah um you know this is not they're not static immovable concepts that we can sort of slowly chip away at from the outside yeah they are constantly adapting yeah. and and so and so of course you know what they look like is going to change and how they manifest is going to change um and so i think you know it's hard to say whether or not it's gotten worse but it's certainly it's it's certainly still incredibly prevalent despite yeah. advances in in equality um and and also, you know, I think as a society, we're starting to recognise more and more the role played by intersectionality and the fact that, you know, we're not just talking about misogyny, we're also mm. talking about other forms of oppression and understanding that, you know, there are lots of different um, marginalised identities, marginalised genders and, and groups of people who are experiencing, um, you know, intersections, so they're experiencing racism and misogyny at the same time and transphobia and all these things and, and that's very complicated and something that you know K Kimberly Crenshaw only coined the term intersectionality in the late 1980s and it takes a long time for that kind of 
academic understanding to move into the mainstream like lately i've i've heard that term used quite mm. often and it it kind of it hasn't been used in that way for a long time. I feel like it's kind of come back out again. So like you say, it does go in waves, doesn't it? We kind of have these things happen and then it all comes up again. And I guess every time we inch closer to to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. What, what about, um, so if we're teaching that to older children, how can we as, I'm a primary school teacher, mm. Um, and in primary schools, we have obviously since 2020, it's been a statutory requirement to teach relationship and um, mm-hmm. health education and sex education, but parents can withdraw children from it. Mm-hmm. But it, it always feels like such a daunting topic to approach I think partly because everyone has their own opinions on it everyone has such strong feelings about it it's Mm. hard to remove those Mm. Um, and also I think having the knowledge of what's been taught in secondary is really important as well because we need to know how to prepare them so Mm. the topics that you cover with bold voices how can we teach what do we need to be teaching younger children so that they're ready for those topics how much do we need to kind of reveal to them yeah so I think you know I actually, I mean, so obviously my experience of working in schools has been with secondary schools. Yeah. Um, but what I've seen and spoken to to primary school teachers and to those who work with younger ages is that there is amazing work being done in this area, you know, talking about gender stereotypes and language, talking about healthy relationships, as you said, and like kind of un- getting young people to understand, getting children to understand that they have ownership over their own body and learning about boundaries and consent and how to say no and things like that. Mm. Um, which is happening in primary schools and that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um I think that as a as a broader kind of solution to this is better teacher training from the start on these topics. So yeah. that because you know I, I completely appreciate that for those teachers who are already on the ground and working that's not necessarily a solution but long term you know these conversations have to become part of teacher training as well so that everyone has the same base level understanding yeah um but I think the most important thing that that kind of at primary school we can be doing is normalizing talking about these difficult conversations and and that doesn't always have to be specifically about sexual violence it can be about any difficult conversation but supporting young people to 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 know that it's okay to mm. to be able to talk about these things that we often shy away from as a society um and and you know that can be anything from gender to to race to sexuality you know all of these different topics and I, and i don't know i i do think and maybe you've you've got a different experience of this being on the ground working in primary schools but i think that is something that is being done and that hopefully we'll see the positive effects of that as yeah. these younger years come through Yeah, I feel like it's interesting what you say about um, kind of normalising that that talk because Mm. I think even for the teachers in the school, it can be a real struggle in Mm. training for them to open up and feel okay because I think especially in the generation that some of us are from, it it wasn't talked about um, and it's still kind of a bit embarrassing for some teachers and I think we if we get if we break that barrier then mm. we're really on to something because then they will go into the classroom and just talk very openly and confidently about it yeah but I think that's where one of the barriers lies is that we we perhaps feel too kind of we don't want to openly talk about those things because mm. we still find them embarrassing to talk about and I think we need to have more staff meetings just having those chats and <laughs> yeah. you know just opening yeah. up about our own experiences as well because I yeah. think as soon as we show a bit of vulnerability that will really help the children um yeah. learn that I think I think also you know there is a there's a 
there's a fear of getting the conversation wrong. Of mm. course there is. There's a fear of, um, of, of that vulnerability. And I think, and, you know, maybe this is slightly different with, with primary school children, though I'm not sure that it is that, that, you know, that they see that that vulnerability is okay and that, yeah. that adults don't have all of the answers to these questions. And mm. that's okay, you know, that that is part of the conversation. And, yeah. and it's something, and again, maybe this is more, although although having said that, I don't, I think we learn so much from young people and children all the time, you know. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting when you talk to children about gender stereotypes and colours and toys and things and their, their attitude to it is often just like, I don't understand why this is the case you know why can this not be for girls and boys and you yeah. speak to secondary school pupils about about sex and about sexual violence and about healthy relationships and they they can have such a pragmatic open approach to it and actually us as adults can learn so much from those conversations Definitely. as well yeah. um but i think also it's important to to move away from the idea that these are one-off conversations and instead this is something that can be talked about every single day for you know five minutes ten minutes this is not I, I really um I really object to the the talk in averted commas with <laughs> yeah. with young people that like sitting down and having the talk about sex yeah. I'm, the, what is that no like that is that is not something that we should be um advocating for this is about you know everyday conversations about these things and and hopefully as you said that that supports adults and teachers as well in normalizing this conversation for them and being confident having it. It's, yeah, it's about it's having that drip ongoing... drip approach, isn't it? Rather than exactly, doing a yeah. kind of relationship and sex education week, it needs yeah. to be part of everything we're doing and the children need, need to feel open to asking questions and coming to you to talk further about things. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest fears for teachers and, and the whole idea of getting it wrong are the parents. Parents, mm. we have we have such different views. So we're trying to please all of these parents, some of which who want their children to know absolutely nothing about sex, sex and relationship mm. until they reach 16, from parents who are talking openly about it at home, um, some children kind of even watching films that are 18s. And, mm. you know, you've got such a wide variety of parents to please. How... How can we get parents on board with teaching young people and having that open conversation? Mm. So I think, you know, what's been interesting about the last few weeks is seeing the impact that that hearing from young people has on parents. Um, like I, we've had an absolute... I mean, just the increase in the interest from parents into bold voices and what we can provide there has mm. been really interesting. And I think that's come from a place that... And, you know, again, I, I'm not a parent, so I don't I don't know what it's like to, to feel this way. But that that I think it's probably a protective thing to think this doesn't happen to my to my kids. You know, this won't happen to them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we do that with lots of things. But I think we you know, we, we definitely do that with this topic. Yeah. And I think what the last few weeks has shown is that, you know, it doesn't matter how safe you think your child is they will have been exposed to something yeah um and so i think there's a real power in in you know letting parents know that unfortunately this is something that their young that their child has been or will be exposed to at some point whether mm. that's through experiences themselves or witnessing or witnessing it or hearing about it um so i think there is there is huge power in in essentially giving them that knowledge um from young people and hearing young people say that yeah. um but i also think making them part of the conversation is is really important um and ensuring that you know that it's not the case that they know that young people are getting this education 
but that they also have access to it and that they can be part of the conversation and they can learn too. Um, and, you know, I think that's the case for all PSHE topics, really, or maybe even the whole curriculum, not that we have time to teach yeah. parents everything, but um, but letting them know that they can be involved, they can hear what the young people are having, that they can they can be involved in that discussion. Yeah. Um, and and that it's part of like that three pronged approach to having these conversations mm. of, you know, the teachers, the parents and the pupils. Um, and in terms of catering to to kind of those wide views, that's I mean, it's always going to be an issue. But I think, again, it comes back to the fact that there's no right or wrong solution to these problems you know this is a this is a conversation that nobody has the answer to this is a, a kind of a problem that there's no clear roadmap of this is how we eradicate sexual violence you sure. know there's there's no roadmap for it um and and so you know inviting parents of with with this wide these wide kind of views to be part of that conversation and and to be open to how we can all be part of the solution is is hopefully i feel like that's not a very good answer is it because it's very no it's, no it's, it's, it's not it's an honest it, answer and i think yeah. it is it's a very complex situation i think yeah. you know that the parents are going to to you're always you're never going to eradicate that idea of a parent complaining about their child learning too much or being exposed mm. to too much i think mm. it's always going to be there i guess it's giving the teachers the confidence i think if teachers were more confident to go in and, and know exactly what they're teaching i mean yeah. i'm quite against prescriptive teaching but in this case i think it would really be quite helpful because mm. you can't go wrong then mm. and i think that's where we're really worried about it until we are a society that can talk openly about mm. this stuff it needs to just be a bit more prescribed um I mean, I've got two children and I, the other day an advert came on. We were watching Grace and Perry's Art Club, which was, a, uh, I'd watched it previously to make sure there was nothing in it. But we, there was an advert that came up about um, knife crime. And I immediately wanted to get my child out of the room. He's seven. And I was like, oh, mm. uh, you can't watch this. This is an adult um, advert. But mm. as soon as he'd seen a bit of it, of course, he was then intrigued. He'd heard, mm. he'd heard knife crime, he'd heard the word murder, and I kind of thought, well, I've got to now have that conversation with him. I can't leave that yeah. unsaid, because what happens is children just fill in the gaps themselves, don't they? Mm. Yeah. And now that they have access to online, and, you know, they, they talk in the playground, and they've got phones, and, I mean, my seven-year-old doesn't, but as they get older... They, they will just work it out and they could be working it out from information sources that are not really reliable. So yeah. it is about, I guess, their generation is different and they've got they've got access to so much more information. So it's important yeah. that they we just have to tell them this stuff and be honest yeah. and open. Yeah. Um, so it is a difficult one because, like you say, we do feel precious about our children, don't we? And it's that fear <laughs> of them knowing too much too soon. And um, But I think, you know, education is empowering, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and I also think conversations and education can make young people feel safe. Yeah, I think we've because, you know, as you said, you know, obviously we never want to take away that innocence of of being young and thinking yeah. that the world is perfect. But also you feel safe as a young person when you know you have places to talk about stuff that is bad. You know, you yeah. I remember that as a child, knowing that I could ask questions and have mm. and be taught and be treated and, you know, have honest answers given to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think there's def there's a safety in that for young people. Um, and at the end of the day, at some point, you know, we, we don't live in this utopia where these things aren't they're not going to come across them. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? But yeah. I think just being able to have those conversations can make young people feel feel safe. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Having organisations like Bold Voices is great for schools in supporting teaching. 
because you can come in and you can kind of take over and I think as a teacher it always feels lovely when you've got some experts coming in and you you know that you kind of you're doing the right thing by getting those people in and that they they can't go wrong because they know what they're doing but we talked about the drip drip approach and having it in our everyday life how can we other than training in how can we support teachers to be bringing it into day-to-day education and what parts of of learning do you think it's really well connected with are there other subjects that you you would advise bringing it into or kind of things that you would encourage teachers to do that are more day-to-day things yeah absolutely so um on the subject um kind of topic i you know i did gender and international relations for my masters and there are a lot of people who i meet when i tell them that who say what on earth does international relations have to do with gender yeah and i find that such a bizarre question because I mean, it's everything, you know, it has everything to do with it. And yeah. and actually, I talk a lot about having a gendered lens over the world. And once you've once you started to once you once you're open to that gender lens and once you started to learn a bit more about it and understand it, you see that, I mean, gender and gender inequality can be linked to every single subject. You know, there's there's so many ways that it can be integrated into the curriculum and and not to put more work on teachers because there's already a lot of work that <laughs> teachers have to do. Yeah. I think there are there are so many ways that this issue can be explored and you know in particular in subjects like history and English and geography, you know, humanity subjects in particular have a real role to play in in bringing some of these conversations alongside the curriculum and mm. having them, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be one of my huge frustrations at university. I did um, history for my undergrad was that once a term we'd have a whatever module it was, it would be X and gender. It would be like gender and class in in like 1970s Britain and it and it was so frustrating because you know it wasn't just one week's worth gender came into all of the other topics that we were looking at and I found that approach really frustrating um and I think it's something that that we'll get there with and I'm aware I always sound really idealistic when I say oh I want this to be a conversation every single day and you know I'm aware that's the type of thing that happens more slowly yeah um but the ideal is that you know we we all develop this gender lens and we can see where these conversations come into and alongside other parts of the curriculum um but you know I'm also aware that that is a lot of work and it takes time but I think it's for teachers, it's being open to that and yeah. being open to to learning that and, and kind of looking at the curriculum and, and seeing where that, that conversation can slot in and, and not seeing it as a not seeing it as an overwhelming task, but really just adding in, you know, a piece about it, a one just a, a different lens on a on a subject, really. Yeah. I think um, one of the big problems in in terms of kind of daily life at school is that um, that gender stereotypes is, yeah. is, it's it's massive in education. I mm. I'm always shocked about what I hear, and it's it's not the fault of any teachers. This isn't me kind of teacher bashing. This is I think once you're aware of that language, which I have been since I had children, it was something mm. that I really got into, and I tr- mm. I've tried not to as much as it's part of everything we do to kind of fit in fit them into those gender boxes but even Mm. things like in assemblies sometimes I've seen oh the gold award has been won by a girl this week and it's kind of just even pointing out gender it feels Mm. like it happens every day every day in Mm. school so training in this would be really fantastic yeah yeah thinking about how we kind of put children in boxes based on gender I can't tell you how many times I've seen um, right all the boys line up first 
all the girls line up second mm. or um it's so unnecessary isn't it yeah it is <laughs> it's, it's why no do we do it for that yeah yeah um, yeah challenging those kind of those underlying as you said stereotypes and norms that that are really just totally unnecessary is is so key and and I guess you know you said you know what can we do beyond training it's it's frustrating because as you said training is sort of is is what's needed to yeah. highlight that 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 is important to challenge that even though it seems harmless yeah um and I think another part of it is is supporting teachers to develop the confidence to challenge when pupils might say things that are problematic um, or that are or that also reinforce those stereotypes and that is that's a difficult thing to do and I think often it can feel like you're derailing what's happening in a classroom but it's so important that those little things aren't left and, and and let them you know often we let them slide and we think that they're harmless and the more that teachers are able to have the confidence to challenge and and to say actually no like I'm not going to let that slide and I'm going to mm. call it out um you know the more normal it becomes and that becomes part of their everyday you know life of young people that they see it being challenged and they know that it's not okay yeah and again um, that starts with language and and, and yeah. vocabulary doesn't it that things like yeah. you know we use the we use green person rather than green man when we're crossing the road if you isolate that one in that that one big piece of language sure it doesn't it we're not going to die because i've said green yeah. man but <laughs> that that kind of language all the time everything has man in it my partner read a book the other day and it was from a female perspective and so or they used um, she instead of he, and, and she, he he said, "Oh, I feel really kind of isolated from this story. I can't I can't relate to this story." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "But that's how women feel with everything." Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. it's so interesting what an effect that has. And we I think some of the older generations may not realise that kind of effect because mm-hmm. it's now so prevalent. Mm. Yeah, so I think it's a an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. I think we are we're becoming more aware of it, but you know, there are still there's still lots of work to be done and you know I still come across lots of people who will say oh that's harmless it it, it doesn't matter and and you know we're you're always going to have that that kind of defense that you have to break down but I think it's just it's a slow process isn't it it's mm. always going to be a, yeah. a chipping away and a, and again just a continuing of the conversation and, yeah and hopefully that's happening in staff rooms as well as classrooms you know because a lot of teachers I speak to say you know, I'm on board with this, but I come up against other staff members who aren't. And, yeah. and part of this is being able to have conversations with other staff members as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, as with all these culture changes, it's it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Um, How so, about, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's it comes into your kind of plans for um, what you do with Bold Voices, but do you have, how do you meet the needs of special educational needs pupils? Yeah, do you know, it's something that we want to do more of and be better at. Mm. Um, it's not an area of expertise that I have, yeah. but it's something that we need to be expanding into. Um, and, you know, I think we have other experts that we can kind of defer to on that. You know, we work mm. closely with the gender equality, um, actually, I think they're the Global Equality Collective now and Diverse Ed, who have various different organisations within them who work more closely um you know in 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 areas supporting send children and and in special schools um and i think it's it's what again it's one of those recognizing the overlaps between um kind of inequality as well and understanding that it's not going to be a one size fits all in terms of this education and in terms of having these conversations and that's absolutely fine um but you know the the way that we treat 
young people, whoever they are, should be without stereotype, should be without, you know, these gender stereotypes regardless. And I yeah. think that that, again, looking at our language and stereotypes is has such a huge impact on, on all children. And, and if we're all able to kind of have that have that approach no matter what school we're working in or no matter what child we're working with there's going to be a knock-on effect for those children and the attitudes that they develop obviously uh, mindfulness for learning is kind of all, all about well-being um mm. how does misogyny and gender-based violence affect the well-being of women day to day quite a big question well, in yeah in so so many ways <laughs> it's um i think it's just it's utterly exhausting experiencing harassment discrimination kind of abuse as as women and marginalized genders do on a daily basis you know that is i think we we forget how exhausting that is Mm. um and also as we've talked about today you know we can't forget that for for black women for trans women for disabled women this misogyny is even more relentless and even more pervading um and it's the reason why charities like you know black minds matter are so important because they provide that specific mental health support for the black community who have to deal with the trauma and kind of exhaustion of that oppression of racism every day and and so you know we recognize how there are you know we're starting to recognize the 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 impact of oppression on on groups of people in terms of well-being and mental health yeah um and in terms of misogyny more specifically, you know, there's kind of a daily navigation for women and marginalised genders, constantly navigating that misogyny, you know, deciding what clothes to wear, what route to take, how best to get home. Mm. I don't even things like what tone to use in meetings, ensuring that we come across as competent but not too authoritative and all of these navigations, which is utterly exhausting. And yeah. I think one of the ways in the conversation that's come out in the aftermath of Sarah Everard um, and and what happened to her was this this idea of a um, a curfew for men, which I think anybody who's said this this kind of idea has always said it you know flippantly as like a a kind of exercise in thought rather than an actual um, idea. Yeah. But um but I always remember the first time I heard someone say to me you know what would you do if there was a curfew. Um, for for men yeah and I remember thinking wow I would spend my evening so differently to how I normally do and it was just this sudden realization that you know I would put on exactly the outfit I wanted to without being worried about harassment and I would not worry about how I was going to get home and I would not worry about my drink being on the side and it being spiked and all these little navigations I can't even imagine even when just imagining that I kind of almost took a sigh of relief the idea it's like freedom yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah it's um and I think you know that's the purpose of that of 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 stating that you know it's that that feeling Mm. and I think that feeling as you said of relief is it really highlights how exhausting misogyny yeah. is <laughs> yeah. um and and you know the feeling of what how we would behave if it didn't exist is mm. it really highlights that um so yeah you know i think it i think it really does affect the well-being of 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 women of marginalized genders um and it's something that you can't really quantify because we don't know what it's like to not experience yeah, it yeah yeah so how do we really know but i don't know for myself as a woman and you know for myself as a cis white able-bodied woman you know i i have many many privileges and i still feel the weight of misogyny yeah and 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 it's exhaustion and 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 i just think it's hard it's very hard to quantify um 
but it is absolutely there and it and it definitely mm. exists thinking about that kind of going out into the world while all the men are at home um <laughs> how important is it that we or is it important that we separate genders for relationship and sex education a lot of schools will yes. separate uh, boys and girls for kind of menstruation lessons or um do, do we need to be doing that is it important that we're all together on that what's your opinion i think i think there are I think when we're talking about education, like, for example, menstruation and and understanding what happens to our bodies. And, you know, of course, no, that's learning that all young people should have regardless of your gender. You know, the fact that boys shouldn't learn about periods is utterly absurd. You know, Um, and. And, and actually, I was speaking to a teacher who's at an all boys school who said that she's had boys in year 10 and 11 ask her, um, you know, ask her about sort of the different holes that period blood comes out, things like this that yeah. they have no idea. And that and that is that we are severely like disadvantaging our young people if we're not teaching them that kind of thing, regardless of their gender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, with and that's not even taking into consideration, um, you know, trans women and men and the fact that, you know, there are men who have periods and that mm. and that needs to be part of the conversation as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, I think sex and relationships, there, there is no topic that both that, that should only be learnt by boys or girls. Yeah. You know, I de- definitely don't think that. And then in terms of how we have these conversations, we, we tend t- to advocate for co-ed groups it, when we're working with co-ed schools. Yeah. Um, because the education that we give at Bold Voices is, is critical, objective understanding of what gender inequality looks like and what gender-based violence looks like. Having said that, I think that there is value in, in spaces where, you know, girls and women and marginalised genders can talk about their experiences at a young age, you know, and feel safe in doing that. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I think there are spaces for men and for boys to talk about masculinity and to talk about their own relationships to these issues. Mm. Um, so I think there's there's space for conversations that that target, you know, one gender or another, um, whilst at the same time knowing that it's important moving forwards that we have co-ed spaces for talking about these issues as well. Like, I think yeah. there's a space for all of it. Um, at the end of the day, we're not going to tackle and eradicate gender inequality and gender-based violence without everybody working together. So so I think there yeah. has to be conversation that involves everybody. Um so yeah, I suppose I don't I don't come down e- on either side except for the fact that a bit yeah a bit <laughs> of both and and you know with at Bold Voices we work on a case by case basis with schools and there are some schools who say you know there are specific incidences that we're dealing with within these year groups and we feel like it would be you know we would be putting the pupils in a situation that they're not necessarily maybe even ready for to have that conversation if there are specific issues that are being dealt with in yeah. the school so so yeah i think case by case basis but equally we do if we can we would much prefer to work with co-ed um groups with the work that we do at bold voices yeah. um specifically what um what have you got planned next for bold voices i know things are very busy for you with everything mm. that's happened <laughs> so kind of where do you see yourself it's like an interview, isn't it? Where do you see yourself yeah. in kind of the next five, ten years? What, where's your, where is your place? Um, so yeah, I mean, in the immediate future, we have got lots of partnerships with new schools coming up, which is really exciting. And and I think what's really exciting for us at Bob Voices is is 
we've seen a shift from one-off um, kind of workshops and talks towards, um, you know, long-term work with schools and, and really calls for whole school programs and integration into the whole school and the whole school um, curriculum, which is really exciting. So in the next sort of year, that's where we're heading with the partnerships that we've got. And that's, yeah. that's really, that's really exciting. And in terms of looking even further ahead, you know, I, I will always be heading for curriculum change. And, and, you know, we've seen the new RSE curriculum come into um, force in 2020, but there are a lot of gaps in that curriculum yeah. and, and there is a lot still, still to be filled. And, and, you know, long term, that's where we see our role is kind of supporting with that change and really getting this education to as many young people as possible. You know, there are certain things that we believe all young people should have learnt about and should have had space to have conversations about before they leave school um and we would do our very best to reach yeah. all young people in it, across the uk um with that education and and that's quite a big task but you know we've got many years ahead of us to do that so yeah that's, that sounds exciting and really kind of um feel very supportive to hear you hear mm. you say that because we we do need companies like bold voices to support us as teachers mm. what are just out of interest what are, you talk about the curriculum mm. and there are gaps there can you think of one that you would like to fill straight away <laughs> yes absolutely well actually i can think of two if that's okay yeah go for it <laughs> uh, the first one is um making the curriculum more intersectional um yeah. at the moment you know there's sort of I think there's one mention of, you know, this should all be um, included with an LGBTQ lens yeah. and there's very little support for teachers as to how to do that and what that looks like. And A lot of the document seems to be like that. I feel like they yeah. say, well, yeah. you've got to do this, but it doesn't tell you how. But yeah, here's no how. <laughs> um, and the second thing is that, you know, the RSE curriculum really focuses on individual relationships and, and what that looks like at an individual level. And what we try and do at Bold Voices and what's really important um, uh, in order to really understand what a healthy relationship looks like that, and what, you know, a society free of sexual violence looks like is to understand that all individual relationships are part of wider cultures um, mm. and are influenced by wider cultures and societal attitudes. And I think that's something that's really, really missing from the curriculum right now is that it doesn't contextualise those individual, you know, sexual encounters and relationships within that wider context of right. gender inequality, of, you know, attitudes towards women and marginalised genders and, 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 and so on. Um, so, and that's something that we try and do with our education, but I think that that's, that's really missing from the curriculum right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few interesting, as when I was reading through it, mm. there's a few things that kind of uh, stood out for me. I think one of them was in secondary, there was some interesting wording regarding contraception. I think you said, it should also cover contraception, developing intimate relationships and resisting pressure, pressure to have sex. And then in brackets, and not applying pressure. Almost like uh, the the resisting pressure was yes. more important, yes. and the applying yeah. pressure yeah. was kind of a secondary thought. Yeah, um, yeah. There's some interesting wording in the whole curriculum, but, which mm. is just. I mean, that does seem it's utterly bonkers, isn't it? Because why would you be resisting pressure if the it pressure wasn't exist. being applied? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why is that? It is. It is. Um, yeah. It is. There. There is. There is a lot more work to be done for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be very busy. Um, <laughs> and finally, uh, what is mindfulness to you, and how can we use it to help us deal with um, and, and have effective responses to what we've discussed today? Hmm. I think mindfulness is something actually in my personal life that I've been um, 
trying to practice more of and I think in that sense I mean I think it encompasses a lot of things for a lot of different people but it kind of living in the moment and slowing down and actually being able to separate oneself from like the buzz of I guess a lot of it is social media mm. and that kind of need to be on all the time um and I think how that's relevant to the conversations about these issues and about and about kind of um everything we've talked about today really are the links between mindfulness and empathy and listening yeah. and reflection because I, I think all three of those are central to um being able to have conversations about gender inequality and gender-based violence and um and i think they all bear a really close relationship with mindfulness yeah um and and yeah i think often with these conversations we jump the gun we get defensive and we launch into something that we a a we might not have personal experience of or b that we haven't really thought about how it affects somebody else first and i think mindfulness can really help with um like approaching those conversations in in those ways so that's amazing yeah very central and um and you know the work that you're doing with mindfulness in in teaching hopefully will yeah sits very nicely alongside these these conversations and this learning yeah well thank you so much for getting in touch because I really feel it's Mm. been it's been a great response to the article that I wrote actually when I wrote it my mum got in touch and said I feel like it's a bit problematic because you're kind of putting problems out there with no solutions and I said well I don't have the solutions that's the point but then Mm. I feel like you getting in touch has kind of given a solution to the problem and that's been a really lovely way to kind of uh, finalise this kind of well not finalise because it's as we said we've got a lot of work to do but um, <laughs> I feel a bit more complete after that so thank oh, you good. I'm so glad no, and thank you so much for for responding and, and, and for having me on it's been it's been really really great to have this conversation you are so welcome thank you oh that was so fantastic I love talking to Natasha so thanks again for getting in touch if you want to know more about Bold Voices you can go to boldvoices.com where you can find more information on what they have to offer Natasha also kindly shared some helpful links with us which can be found at mindfulnessforlearning.com forward slash words where you can also find the original article I wrote about relationship and sex education. You can also follow Bold Voices on Twitter at bold underscore voices and you can follow Mindfulness for Learning on Twitter also on at m for learning. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.